chapter 4, page 1146 uh, in Church Bible. Paul is uh, dealing with a situation which is very delicate uh, in Corinth. Uh, it's one which is delicate because uh, he's involved. Uh, his own standing as an apostle is being undermined. And it's being undermined by people who are setting themselves up as uh, apostles who they claim are more significant, more impressive, more powerful than Paul. And this is an important, a serious situation, uh, because Paul, of course, is uh, one to whom God has given revelation. And for Paul's authority to be undermined, Uh, goes beyond his own personal status. It is a matter of the faith itself. Uh, Paul has spoken about the factions and uh, from the the beginning, from chapter 1, and in chapter 3 he has been referring to himself and Apollos. What after all is Paul? What after all is Apollos? And then in chapter 4 he said, I've applied these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit. Uh, And It's a mark of the man, a mark of the uh, pastoral heart of Paul that he has limited, uh, he's made concrete rather, the situation under his own name and under the name of his friend Apollos, his close associate, uh, rather than naming and shaming uh, those others who are responsible uh, and crushing them, uh, he has made himself and Apollos are examples of what uh, is going on and made himself and Apollos illustrative of how they are to regard uh, true teachers. He wants them to not go beyond what is written. In other words, not to have views of the gospel ministry which are not in Scripture. He doesn't want them to be regarding their leaders from a worldly point of view, but to keep to what the Scriptures say about the office. Now, in the previous chapter, uh, chapter 3, we were looking at uh, workers within the church uh, using the figure of farm laborers who sow and water and builders who uh, lay a foundation and build on top of that foundation. Uh, And the lesson was that we are workers together in the church. We have different roles. uh, But God alone can give the growth. growth. And so uh, that one fact uh, undermines any attempt to build up, to puff up someone to celebrity status. Because after all, uh, no one other than God can bring someone who is dead in sin to the life. God must give the life. And so give God the glory and recognize that the others are simply co-workers. They are co-builders and they must build on a foundation which is Christ. No other foundation is of any use other than Jesus Christ. Uh, Now he is focusing on 
how we ought to view uh, in the first case the apostles but also by extension pastors within the church pastors in perspective how are we to view those uh, who are given a special privilege and also within uh, a certain status within the church how are we to regard them a very relevant, a very contemporary question for us to, to wrestle with. Uh, we tend to swing to extremes uh, in this matter. Uh, the the streams, extremes would be uh, clericalism. Uh, in some respects, the Reformation was a reaction against clericalism. One of the, the watchwords of the Reformation was the priesthood of all believers. Uh, we do not need uh, a priest, uh, a human priest, to be an intermediary for us between God and man. Uh, we come in the name of Jesus alone to God. And all of us have a, a ministry within the church to exercise. There is a, a, a clericalism, however, uh, which exalts uh, any kind of preacher uh, to a, a position of celebrity in which he is adulated uh, by large numbers. Uh, in the USA, there was a, a rather tragic case uh, involving Mark Driscoll, uh, who was the head of uh, Mars Hill Church in Seattle. And Mark Driscoll has had a, a very positive impact, especially in young people, uh, in encouraging them to, to get into Reformed theology. Under the weight of his own celebrity, uh, this megachurch pastor uh, made some very unwise decisions, and there was a re resulting car crash which saw him being uh, dismissed from the church that he had established. And on our side of the pond, we also had evangelical uh, leaders who spawned uh, their own circle of uh, followers, uh, where the relationship went beyond that of being helpfully advised towards a blind following of style and presentation. Sometimes you would listen to one preacher and think it was actually uh, the leader of his own particular circle that was standing in front of you, because he had adopted his style uh, of, of preaching. He had become a clone. And there was a blindness to some of the, the, the dogmas and, and the failings of those leaders. So, on the one hand, there is this clericalism, this unthinking adulation of the leader. But perhaps even more so in our day, we have a strong anti-clericalism, uh, where the urge to make everything democratic has actually devalued the role of the, the preaching elder, the, the significance and the privilege of expounding the Word of God. And in many circles today, you will find that the, that the key person in a service is actually the so-called worship leader. And where church has morphed into entertainment especially, you have that prominence given to the person with the mic in front of the band. Well, how are we to regard the 
person who is given a role of leadership in the church, how does Paul want the apostles to be regarded? How are pastors in the church of Christ to be regarded? He says, you are to regard us as servants. Regard us as servants. Men ought to regard us as servants of Christ and as those entrusted with the secret things of God. Now, the word servant here is not the, uh, the, the word diakonos that we have uh, used usually that translates often servant or deacon, but the word here is a, a less common word, and it re- relates to somebody who was an under-rower, somebody in the lower decks of, of, a, of a ship uh, that strained at the oars. So it's a pretty uh, lowly position that Paul is using to, to compare his own role. Here is somebody down with the rats and the, the bilge water rowing for all uh, his might. He goes on to say that this servanthood is also uh, that of stewardship. Now, a steward, again, is somebody who has got a certain privilege and role. Uh, he would be the person, uh, the landowner employed to delegate authority, so he didn't have to go down to the fields and mix with the hoi polloi. Uh, he had a, a responsibility to make sure uh, that the crops were being tended and that money from the, the, the sale of the crops was being handled properly. And Paul says, we are stewards in that God has entrusted the secret uh, uh, wisdom of God uh, to us, the secret things of God. Now, clearly, as an apostle, that was of a very special kind, this privilege. It was the privilege of being entrusted the New Testament scriptures. God had revealed to Paul and to Peter and to James and to Jude and so on. The revelation that has now become part of our New Testament. But by extension again, everyone who who proclaims the word of God has a responsibility. Uh, The very oracles of God uh, are in this precious book that we expound Sunday by Sunday. It's an immense privilege to handle them. Uh, And it's a sacred responsibility to handle it well. Paul says faithfulness is required of the steward. Now that raises the question, uh, it's kind of hanging in the air a little bit, faithfulness is required of the preacher. How do we measure that faithfulness? How do we say, yes, he's being faithful? No, he's not being faithful. Well, there are situations when it's quite clear that the the preacher is being unfaithful and needs to be got rid of. Uh, If the the preacher is living uh, inconsistently with the message, if there is immorality in his life, then uh, it's the church's duty uh, to discipline and to remove him from office. If the preacher is not proclaiming the gospel, Uh, If he's preaching another gospel, uh, if he's watering it down, if he's toning down the challenge of the word of God, so as to garner a following, but not to to preach uh, the the, the challenging message of repentance and faith, then he is also being unfaithful. 
and action should be taken against him. But what about those whose life is above board and whose teaching is orthodox? Then the question is, do we make judgments on that person? Uh, do we maybe rank them as the folks in Corinth were inclined to? Uh, there are some people who love to, to rank preachers and to, to make comparisons and to say, well, this is a spiritual-minded person, but this one here, rather worldly preacher, don't you think? And Paul is warning against that spirit of sitting in judgment. And his argument is that preachers are ultimately accountable to God. And only God knows the quality of their service. God alone can search the inner spring of their motives, of their heart's desire. God alone now knows the hours that they put into preparing the message. God knows whether or not they have agonized over the scriptures before coming. God alone knows uh, whether they have spent uh, hours in prayer uh, before coming to the people. Uh, Paul says, uh, no one can therefore judge. In fact, he says, I don't even judge myself. My conscience is clear, he says, but God alone is the judge. Uh, it's a reminder, isn't it, that uh, your conscience alone, we should never go against our conscience. Your conscience in itself is not an infallible guide. Uh, we can sear the conscience. We can disobey God's will so repeatedly that uh, we are no longer accused by our conscience. Or we do not calibrate our conscience by the word of God so that it is no longer the reliable guide it should be. But in general, uh, when our conscience uh, accuses us, we need to turn to God and repent. Uh, but when it is not accusing us, Paul says it's not necessarily a sign uh, that everything uh, is fine. Someone uh, may have a, a superficial view of the ministry, for example, and think that he is discharging his duty responsibly when he's simply coasting. Somebody else with a, a more sensitive temperament uh, may always feel that he's, he's uh, selling short this great calling to, to honour God. Uh, he may continually labour in discouragement. Very difficult thing, Paul is saying, to come to an accurate assessment of your achievement. If that is the case, how much less, says Paul, should outsiders meddle? Uh, they know in part, but God knows all. Therefore, uh, we are to judge, he says, nothing before the appointed time. On the day of judgment, all will be revealed, and God will give praise where it's appropriate. But before then, it is quite long to evaluate the quality of someone's work. After all, Paul says, uh, if someone is gifted, by definition, the gift has come from God. Why should that person boast? Why should he be singled out uh, for approval? We are servants of God. We are stewards of the secret things of God. The second description that Paul gives is the most striking uh, description. 
He says, we're the scum of the earth. We're the scum of the earth. We're the refuse of the world. The fact that there are a multiple uh, number of pictures that Paul paints of uh, the reality of how the apostles are viewed by the world. And as he does this, as he says, this is how people think of us. Uh, he's all the time contrasting with the way that the Corinthians think of themselves. Uh, you think that you're, you're really wise. We're fools for Christ. Uh, you're kings. Well, we're treated as, as prisoners, as a spectacle, and so on. They thought that they had arrived. They were looking down at, at those who, like Paul, had come and who had actually brought the gospel to them. And Paul's saying, I and those with me, we gladly embrace this title of being uh, the underdogs of the world, the refuse of the world. Uh, this is a badge of honour as far as we are concerned. The scum of the earth, the refuse of the world. Uh, we are people who have been brought in at the end of the procession, he says, as a spectacle Verse 9, uh, it seems to me that God has put us apostles on display at the end of the procession like men condemned to die in the arena. We've been made a spectacle to the whole universe, to angels as well as men. Uh, now, in Paul's day, the, the sporting celebrities uh, were people who uh, would be in the arena and would be you know, the, the, the gladiators of his day, uh, earned a, a real reputation. Uh, the crowds uh, chanted their names. Uh, it was the equivalent uh, of, of uh, our football celebrities. Paul's not speaking about these kind of people. Paul is speaking about the slaves, the, the prisoners of war that, that were chained to the, the chariots of the conquering army uh, that came back to Rome in a victory parade. And these miserable creatures at the end uh, would then be uh, thrown to the lions or put in a completely unequal competition uh, with one of the expert gladiators. And the crowd would derive delight from seeing them cut down. We, he says, are like these men. We have become a spectacle to the world. And the apostles have been willing to be fools for Christ. We are fools for Christ. You are so wise. Would that we had your wisdom. We have been willing to be fools for Christ. Uh, they have been willing, in other words, to be, to, be, to be misunderstood, to be thought of as so naive, to be taken in by this tale of a man who came back uh, to the life again. That's the way that people think about us all around the so-called civilized world. And you know, we're quite happy. We're content to be thought of as fools because it's for Christ's sake. Again, the, the, the contrast uh, to the, 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 the idea that we have of what it is to, to be something, to be a figure, to be a celebrity. Uh, the person with all of the, the followers on Twitter, the person whose photograph is seen regularly in glossy magazines, Contrast, scum of the earth, fool for Christ's sake. 
Well, in Paul's day, uh, many of the church at Corinth, at least, had uh, worldly ideas of power and wisdom and success. Uh, and these ideals had, had filtered in from their culture. Uh, we said uh, before how the Greeks valued uh, sophisticated oratory and philosophy. The Greeks had this history of imperial power uh, and an appreciation for uh, wisdom and power had filtered into the church. And so they looked at people uh, who were articulate, who were good speakers, um, who had a, a flashy uh, persona, and they looked up to them. And Paul, who by his own admission was not an impressive speaker, was not of impressive uh, stature, not somebody uh, that, that struck you as, as handsome or impressive, they held him at a discount, and they had these other uh, visiting preachers uh, elevated before them. Now, we have the same kind of danger in our own day, in the way that we can, uh, we can elevate uh, preachers in different ways, and in preachers themselves can seek uh, to be built up like that. Uh, there's always a snare, and if we think of going uh, to the Keswick Convention, there is always a snare uh, attached to the conference circuit. It's always very easy to aspire to be uh, somebody who's heard by large crowds. There's also the temptation uh, for those who are never liable to be invited to these kind of places to make a name for oneself, uh, to major on minor issues, uh, to hammer away at things which are not uh, important in the great gospel scheme of things, and to garner a following, to have a constituency, a niche following, which follows me because I am standing up for this minor detail uh, in uh, the life of the church. People get distracted from the essential foolishness of the gospel, and Paul's words bring a reality check. They're a reminder of Jesus' words uh, to all of us, to every Christian. Woe to you when men speak well of you. Not a sobering fact. Woe to you when men speak well of you. We want people speak well of us. And it's good, of course, when they do for the right reason. But the temptation is to forget the offense of the gospel. To forget that uh, to speak about sin will always be unpalatable to the, the worldly man or woman who doesn't want to, to hear uh, that they've fallen short of the glory of God, who wants to think that they're good people, uh, that they've got a, a good chance of getting into heaven simply because they're sincere and give to charity. And there is an offense, an inescapable offense to the gospel. And Paul saying, uh, not only of leaders, but of every one of us who would follow Christ, our call is to be faithful rather than popular. Faithful rather than popular. We're never told that the Christian life would be anything uh, other than hard. And when the church 
uh, becomes part of the establishment, then it lives with the possibility of being infiltrated by the world's values until it goes into terminal decline. And the calling of the church is very different. The Augsburg Confession uh, uh, put it uh, in terms of the church being the community of those who are persecuted and murdered for the sake of Christ. Many churches in Africa, when people uh, make their membership vows, uh, they are asked candidly if they are willing to die for Jesus' sake. One conference speaker who certainly doesn't court celebrity status, uh, Don Carson, uh, has left us in, a, in his debt by uh, writing a, it's quite a short little booklet about his father, uh, and it's called The Memoirs of an Ordinary Pastor. And what, what Don Carson wanted to do was essentially to, to showcase uh, those virtues which he saw lived out in his father, uh, who was a, a French-speaking Canadian who laboured in Quebec without seeing very much by the way of fruit, and nevertheless was wonderfully faithful to his calling uh, to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. And in the book, he, he gives a little history of his father, a very tender, gentle history. And towards the end of the book, there's a lovely summary of, of his father's life that I want to, to share with you. He writes, Tom Carson never rose very far in denominational structures, but hundreds of people testify how much he loved them. He never wrote a book, but he loved the book. He was never wealthy or powerful, but he kept growing as a Christian. Yesterday's grace was never enough. He was not a far-sighted visionary, but he looked forward to eternity. He was not a gifted administrator, but there's no text that says, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you are good administrators. His journals have many, many entries bathed in tears of contrition but his children and grandchildren remember his laughter. Only rarely did he break through his pattern of reserve and speak deeply and intimately with his children, but he modelled Christian virtues to them. He much preferred to avoid controversy than to stir things up, but his own commitments to historic confessionalism were unyielding, and in ethics he was a man of principle, his own ecclesiastical circles were rather small and narrow, but his reading was, was correspondingly large and expansive. He was not very good at putting people down, except on prayer lists. When he died, there were no crowds outside the hospital, no editorial comments in the papers, no announcements on the television, no mention in Parliament, no attention paid by the nation. In his hospital room, there was no one by his bedside. There was only the quiet hiss of oxygen, vainly venting because he had stopped breathing and would never need it again. But on the other side, all the trumpets sounded. Dad won entrance to the only throne room that matters. Not because he was a good man or a great man, he was, after all, a most ordinary pastor. 
but because he was a forgiven man and he heard the voice of him whom he longed to hear saying well done good and faithful servant enter into the joy of your lord paul's third uh, perspective as to how we are to view the preacher the pastor is as that of a father Pastors are to be fathers of the church family. There is no contradiction uh, with this and what Jesus says about calling uh, no man father. Uh, Paul's not saying that we're to look up to him or to anyone else as a guru. Uh, We're not to enter into a dependency relationship with anyone. Paul is saying that his relationship with the flock is one of gentleness and affection and openness. That's what earns his authority. The authentic characteristic of a pastor is gentleness and not autocracy. Paul appeals to his his gentle regard for them uh, and he he used the same picture uh, in another context when he's writing to the Thessalonians And this time uh, he speaks about not being a father, but being mother-like towards them. As apostles of Christ, he said, we could have been a burden to you, but we were gentle among you, like a mother caring for her little children. We loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well, because you had become so dear to us. So there's this lovely, it's a maternal image, and at the heart of what Paul is saying is the idea of the the minister, the pastor, in this case the apostle, being ready to open up his heart uh, to those who are with him. There is this notion that uh, ministers are to remain distant from the congregation. uh, And you see that in some places where the minister seems to inhabit an ivory tower. He's, he's, never, he's not really known by the folks uh, in, in the congregation. And that is so un-Paul-like. Paul speaks of himself as sharing not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. The need, Paul is saying, of the people over whom the pastor has this responsibility. The need is for a model that is accessible to them, someone who is willing uh, to share uh, his life. Uh, He is the one uh, who is best placed to be uh, a, a template. It's those who know us uh, close uh, who are the best Uh, advocates for the ministry of the faithful pastor. And Paul's saying now that if the Corinthians want to know about him, uh, he's going to send somebody to him, to them, uh, who has learned all about him. Uh, His son Timothy in the faith. Timothy uh, who has shared his life, has shared his afflictions. Paul has opened his life to him. Uh, He's seen him warts and all. And Timothy now is going to come to Corinth 
And when Timothy comes to Corinth uh, in his teachings, uh, he says, you'll find that they are consistent with all that I have said in all of the churches. What a wonderful commendation it is of anybody that uh, they can send somebody who knows them intimately, uh, who has shared their lives, and they are unafraid uh, that they will bring up uh, out of the closet any skeletons or partial skeletons, or that they will come out with some teaching that is contradictory to what uh, the person has taught in some other place. Here then uh, is Paul's perspective on pastors. He says you're not uh, to uh, raise your leaders up to celebrity status so that you split around them into little groups vying with each other for supremacy, saying I'm of Paul and I'm of Apollos. This is how you're to regard us, he says. You're to remember that we are servants, servants of God on your behalf. You're to remember that we have gladly embraced the disapproval of the world. We are to the world the scum of the earth. We've become fools for Christ, and gladly so. And we are fathers to the church family. Now, as we close briefly, you'll notice that although these things are particularly true of the apostle and of, by extension, of the pastor, they are to be true of all of us, uh, because Paul writes to those who are his children, saying, I urge you to imitate me. I urge you to imitate me. I wonder if, if you could say that to the people you have influenced for Christ. Could you say, imitate me as I imitate Christ? Paul was able, because of his consistency, to say that. Would they look at you and say, for example, she sows a real servant spirit. She is following Jesus, not to be thought good and great, but to honour him and serve others. Would people look at you and say, you know, She's willing to be put down for the sake of Christ. She doesn't care that people despise her and think her a fool. She is so committed to serving Christ. Would people say, she's been like a parent to me. I don't feel that she holds back uh, anything that would be for my good. And I know that she is absolutely for me. Paul says, I urge you to imitate me. When people are able to say that of somebody, that is so encouraging because if that is what people see in us, then they're seeing something of the Lord Jesus himself, the Spirit of Jesus, who calls us also to come, to die, to live. Father, we pray that you will take these lessons that Paul uh, taught the Corinthians in how they are to regard him and, and the leaders in the church and help us to make the, the appropriate application to our own lives.
Give us a servant spirit, we pray. Grant, Lord, that we will never seek the approval of the world, but we'll be ready, where necessary, to be thought of as fools for Christ. Keep us, Lord, from the folly of keeping others uh, who are our brothers and sisters at arm's length. And help us, Lord, to be good influences of, over those who are younger in the faith, that we might see them built up in their most holy faith. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.